Yeah. I mean, that was the original spark. It was the spark of the idea. And then, you know, my sister has lived with Crohn's disease, so a more severe and, you know, impactful digestive condition. And, you know, I knew she had struggled always to find providers who would really understand who she was, what her life was like, and help tailor solutions to her, right? That personalization that we all know is often difficult to find in the way that our healthcare system is constructed. And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. When Sam Holliday embarked on his journey as the CEO of OC Health, he was driven by a powerful motivation, redefining healthcare around genuine patient needs. With personal ties to digestive health issue in his family, Sam saw the profound impact of quality, whole-person care firsthand. In today's episode, Sam shared his role in shaping a patient-centric future in GI care, discussing his relentless efforts to build an intentional company culture and the undeniable importance of diverse teams in achieving holistic health outcomes. Here's our conversation with Sam. Well, welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, excited to be here. Great to uh, great to be on the podcast. I can't believe it took this long for me to get you in our podcast. Uh, I feel like I uh, kind of, I don't know why, somehow I thought like we have you and then I just realized, like, hey, you know, we have not had Sam. So I always like to start about uh, your journey that take you to in the healthcare world. And I found it's really interesting that I was talking to somebody earlier uh, last week, uh, his background also started in chemical engineering. And oftentimes I don't think about chemical engineering being in the healthcare space, but you know what? Share with us your journey, how that shaped who you are and a lot of the good things that we need to know. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I did start in chemical engineering. I was good at math and science in high school. And so uh, it just seemed like a natural, you know, major to have in college. and. Uh, I think as I went through the major, I realized, you know, what chemical engineering professions would be was not really a match for me. I didn't see myself working in a plant. Um, you know, I was in the Philadelphia area. It was sort of the the hub of the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and I was more intrigued by getting into pharma and healthcare. Uh, my parents both had worked at Johnson & Johnson. That's actually where they met. Um, and had always been in and around the you know pharmaceutical industry. And so I, I started my career there in consulting, just consulting with pharma companies, um, learning about their business, more on the R&D side, how do they develop new therapies. Um, and toward the end of my time, wanted to do something different in a different part of healthcare. And I got to work on a project around electronic health records. And that really opened my eyes to the uh, provider side of delivering care, which I hadn't seen before. Um, I also realized how little I knew about business being an engineer. And so I ended up going back and doing my healthcare MBA, which helped really broaden my understanding of the healthcare industry, all the different parts of it. Uh, and also I got the business training. So I did a, a finance degree and a healthcare management degree. And um, from there, this is 2009, we were planning to move back to New York City and I wanted to work in healthcare technology. And it's crazy to say it, but 14 years ago, it didn't exist in New York. Um, 
which is wild. It just shows you the growth in healthcare technology and digital health um, since then, because now it's a thriving ecosystem, right? Now there's a digital health 100 in New York. And mm-hmm. um, so it's amazing. But yeah, I ended up going into investment banking um, and saying, hey, I want to do all the healthcare technology deals that come in, right? That's what I want to focus on. So got to do some really interesting work with Hippocrates and Vocera and eventually a company called Greenway. It's an EMR company. And I ended up joining Greenway after we helped take the company public. And I was building a startup business unit within Greenway, um, really trying to uh, take all the data and all the tools that we're giving providers, but help them find patients that could be in a clinical trial. And as we were doing that, we also realized, wow, we could do things around medication adherence and improve that. Um, you know, Give the doctor and the patient tools to improve that. And as we looked at that, we said, well, wow, that ties into quality measures that are part of this new sort of ACO model and population health. And so I just started working on all these different parts for, uh, for the company. Um, and then we eventually sold Greenway. So it was a great experience being part of a company from IPO through sale. Mm-hmm. And after that, sort of repeated again, I got recruited into Help Everyday Health, which is an online health information company um, who wanted to serve payers and providers. And that's where I had just been spending my time. And so I ended up joining them to figure out a strategy for working with payers and providers. Uh, and it eventually led to leading a couple acquisitions that the company made. Uh, also went public, uh, made these acquisitions. We were integrating one. And um, I got called about an opportunity to go into a venture-backed company. That was always intriguing to me. I had been building businesses from within public companies, which is a challenging thing to do, especially when you're the bottom priority mm-hmm. of a public company with a lot of financial pressure on it. Um, and so joined a, a founder in the diabetes space who had been bootstrapping a company that was connecting diabetes educators to patients living with diabetes, both type one and type two, and doing that by partnering with, you know, on one side, pharmaceutical companies and device makers. We were helping patients get started on their therapy or their device. Um, And on the other side, working with health plans, where they were seeing gaps in, in care and quality measures for diabetes. And our diabetes educators were able to call their members and, and educate them and teach them about uh, dietary interventions and medication compliance. And this sort of that now brings me to my current chapter. So while we were doing this, we saw some innovation with companies like Verta Health, um, who were using a food-based intervention and seeing amazing outcomes by being there every single day to help somebody through a, a pretty complicated behavior change. Um, and around the same time, my mom had been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, which she was told about a pretty complicated dietary approach. And, you know, she went off and researched it. And she was also an engineer, sort of tying it back to what you were asking me about originally. She was an engineer. So she had the ability to test and learn on herself to try to figure out, okay, which foods seem to trigger her GI symptoms. Um, and then she also had a dietitian mother. So she knew a bit about, you know, uh, the dietitian space, and she's also a trained cook. So she had this toolkit to actually then go re-engineer her recipes once she figured out which foods triggered her symptoms. And so she did all this and went back to her GI doctor and his mind was blown. He said, what did you do? I, I've told so many people about this diet and people really can't figure it out. It's very complex. Um, he went as far as to say, you should start a company, you know, delivering meals to people that, that want to implement these diets. And when I heard this story from my mom, the light bulb went on for me, like, wait a minute, there are companies solving this in diabetes. I wonder if we could do something like that in 
GI for digestive health conditions. And so um, that was the spark that led to looking at the GI space and, and eventually starting Oshi Health. Is your mom or was your mom's part of the whole Oshi founding? Yeah. She's a shareholder. <laughs> I mean, that was the original spark. It was the spark of the idea. And then, you know, my sister has lived with Crohn's disease, so a more severe and, you know, impactful digestive condition. And, you know, I knew she had struggled always to find providers who would really understand who she was, what her life was like, and help tailor solutions to her, right? That personalization that we all know is often difficult to find in the way that our healthcare system is constructed. And so as I started looking at the space, you know, I talked to her about her experience, talked to my mom about hers. We started interviewing other patients, um, you know, hearing what, where are the gaps and, and mm-hmm. what are you looking for that you're not getting from GI care. And we also started interviewing GI practices to say, you know, what are the pressures you're under? Um, you know, we, we were curious because we found all this research showing that dietary interventions worked really well. And it's gold standard clinical trials showing this. We also found all the research showing that the gut-brain axis, so the connection between your gut and brain, when that gets dysregulated, it can also really impact symptoms. But there are interventions that are already, again, proven to actually be really effective for these things. Mm -hmm. And when we asked the GI practices, like, how do you use these interventions? They said, well, we don't get paid for them. So we've never been able to make the economics work to offer them. And that was like, you know, for us, it was really transformational. We, we mm-hmm. Our mission sort of went from, you know, we can scale access to these missing parts to now also taking on a new piece, which was we need to show the, the health plans and the employers that they need to be funding this kind of care for their, for their people. Um, because it's, without it, it's really hard to get to an outcome that matters to the patient, which is, do I know what triggers my symptoms? And do I know how to keep them down going forward? Do I have the right tools, the right, you know, dietary interventions, psychological tools, and medication to actually solve this sustainably? So um, that was, you know, that was how we sort of took that original spark from my mom's experience, my sister's mm-hmm. experience, did our research on, you know, what, what do we already know works, and then figured out, wow, we just have to put it together and get it paid for. This podcast is sponsored by. Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping med tech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. Okay. And so if I were a potential patient members for OSHI, walk me through, like, how did I end up in getting OSHI? And then how, how do I work it so that it helps me with my Yeah. Patient? Yeah. So, and I'll, I, I know it always helps to sort of hear the, the, the journey of companies, right? From, from founding to where we are today. Yeah. And so in our early days, you know, we started this uh, journey at the end of 2019, pre-pandemic. I was all set to go out and start pitching this concept to employers um, in March of 2020 mm-hmm. at a couple conferences, none of which happened because the pandemic, you know, came along and 
um, we all adjusted. Well, part of adjusting for us was, wow, okay, if the, the buyer market that we were going to try to sell to is shut down, you know, how do we, how do we get some data while we're in this pandemic? Like virtual care is actually now taken off. This is great, right? Like it's kind of the only way to get care these days. How fast can we get ourselves set up to start delivering the care? And so we started, we did a, an alpha where we were just doing like, like almost no technology. It was just phone calls and emails um, just to start testing out our care model a little bit um, while we were recruiting clinicians, building the protocols, building the technology. So we did that for about 10 weeks. We showed that the dietary interventions were working, even without technology enablement. And then we layered in the psychology and the medical management and did a beta test um, later that year in, I guess, sort of late 2020, still seeing good results. And then we finally launched our clinic and we just turned it on with a self-pay model. So we weren't going through insurance or employers at that point. Um, we were running some ads online, just letting people know like, hey, you know, we have this integrated model of GI care and it's low cost. We, we were not pricing it to make money at that point. We were pricing it to learn mm-hmm. and to see, wow, okay, does this work the way we think it will? And to get data to use to go fight for that reimbursement, right? And this is about the point at which uh, you and the ADAPT program came into right. uh, the Ocean Story. Yeah, and it was interesting because you mentioned it, like we literally started the ADAPT program uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, when we were all getting locked down, we said, like, what can we do to support a lot of the activities in the space? And um, I think that's really interesting because, you know, at that time we have three partners and we were tasked to find certain technology, you know, areas that uh, we think that our partners are interested in. And so some partners are more involved with the whole screening process. Some partners are not. And of course, when some partners who are not involved in the screening process, it becomes my job to make <laughs> sure that their interests are also represented. And I remember a lot of the other partners and the other screeners like, oh, gee, I'm like, we don't need to do that. But I know every time I was bring it back into the pile that, the you know what you guys are working on so I thought it was really fun when I was just like oh you know well let, let's keep this in because I think this is exciting so when and I'm glad you did you got, um oh she <laughs> selected that was like I was right <laughs> <laughs> it was really I mean and it was transformational for us so you know coming out of the adapt program we were paired up with you know one of the national health plan partners uh we set up a clinical trial to actually show that you know what we were doing was all based on existing research, but that if we put it all together, delivered it through telehealth, and really scaled the access to it across people who came to us with no diagnosis at all, but just experiencing symptoms. So that was one arm of the study. A second for people that had irritable bowel or functional gut brain disorders, that was arm two. And then also on the more severe side, we wanted to show yeah, we can make an impact in those you know populations, but we also can in IBD, so Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, and that was the third arm. And running that clinical trial really helped us prove definitively because we you know we saw not just the outcomes on satisfaction, you know, where ninety eight percent of the people were satisfied with our care and gave us you know plus eighty net promoter score, which is really high. Um, that was important, obviously. Like people liked getting care this way. We saw the access matters. We were able to get people in and be seen within four or five days on average. So, you know, in some markets, there's a really long wait to get in and see a GI doctor. We were able to to get in right away and get people started on on 
diagnosis and treatment, um, we saw clinical outcomes. So 92% of people that went through the, the, our care model got to the outcome that matters to us, which is symptom control that I mentioned earlier. Um, and then importantly, because of our health plan partner, they were able to say, well, let's look at the people that came to OSHI for care. What did they cost? And what did a, a group of people that look identical on all these different characteristics that went into the traditional care system, what did they cost? And proving that cost savings is, is impactful because, as you know, there's a growing cost in healthcare, and a lot of the purchasers, which are employers or health plans, really want solutions, especially in now the economy now, that they can reduce cost. And we were able to prove in a really robust way through that study that we got through the ADAPT program um, that we did reduce costs. And we sort of hit all these you know, great outcomes that we were hoping for. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's always great when the program that we have makes such a huge impact uh, and uh, to the companies that come through the program. And it's, it's kind of funny. It's just like when we first started, we have this hypothesis that this is the things that we think is so much needed where an early stage company, how can they get the opportunity to uh, be in an environment that they can scale because oftentimes you need data. And so somehow uh, we convinced some folks to participate and that's how it got started. And, um, you know, we have a few success story as well in the following year and following year to see the, you know, the impact that the program has for them to create data and approve the point and then allow them to scale in, you know, additional healthcare system in, in addition to our ADAPT partner. Yeah. And that's really the way it's played out for us. And again, I'm super grateful uh, for you setting up the program and getting us you know, this opportunity. The data from that study, we were able to go start to show to employers, to health plans and say, yeah, it's not just us telling you it's going to work. We have a national health plan who they, you know, they ran all the analysis and here's what it's showing. And that really helped people buy in to say, you know, the following year we did some uh, employer pilots. And so we did these for free just to say, okay, how does this work if we deploy it through an employer as a benefit? And we get the employer to help us build awareness. Your original question to me was, how do people find OSHI? Well, if you think about it, we a lot of employers spend time making sure they have great benefits for their people. Um, and they have ways to communicate those benefits. Um, and they're able to communicate that to the whole population. Like, hey, great news. You now have access to OSHI Health. Here's what OSHI is all about. Um, and we can do that, you know, uh, outreach and awareness building for them. We can send the materials. So one of the employers, for example, had a manufacturing workforce. And so we had them put up posters on site because their workforce was there in person. And people would see the posters, know about OSHI and say, oh, wow, I actually, I, I really need this. Let me check this out. Um, we do emails. We do direct mail to people's homes. Um, you know, more and more, we're starting to build pro, uh, partnerships with other providers uh, or care navigation companies. Um, so we're really trying to use any tactic we can to make people aware. And the employers are really great. Mm -hmm. um, and then we are also able to get some new health plans to cover our care and mm -hmm. set us up as an in-network provider, but then also let us do some outreach to people that they, they you know, uh, believed would need our services or might need our services. Um, and we've seen great success with that. 
Uh, we've started to scale. So we started in three states with the clinical trial. Mm-hmm. Um, we then turned on three new states for a couple of our uh, customers. Um, and then just in the past year, we've now grown to uh, 20 and soon 24 states where we're delivering our care. Um, and we're now partnered with many more employers, uh, new health plans, and we've scaled into more states with the health plans we have. And we're really, uh, it's an exciting time because we're really seeing that employers and health plans are now more aware of, of digestive health and GI care as a category. They're seeing that it is hitting their top costs and they're starting to now say, wow, I need to do something about this. I need to give you know, new options to my people um, to get better. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's good. Uh, I am glad that your experience with your mom uh, end up helping so many people. I think that must be pretty rewarding. It is. And it's interesting, too, because watching her journey, I told you the beginning of her journey, but a lot of times talking to employers and health plans, I describe more of her journey because uh, probably about six months after that diagnosis, everything was stable, right? She was doing well. She was using sort of the eliminating the foods that triggered her symptoms. And she had a life event happen that caused a lot of stress and anxiety for her. And um, I got a call one day that she was in the emergency room and um, she had been admitted with extreme abdominal pain and driven by constipation. And, you know, fortunately she was okay, right? They ran some imaging, they ran some testing, they held her overnight for observation to make sure if she was okay. And then they sent her home. And when I talked to her the next, you know, the next day, she was going through everything she had eaten, just really convinced that it was a food that had triggered her symptoms. And I, I stopped her and I said, mom, do you think that it was this stress and anxiety of this event? It was like a light bulb for her. She's Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I never really thought about that. But yeah, like I have been under this, you know, pressure. Um, and, and, you know, I had been studying this gut brain connection because it's Mm -hmm. part of the business model. And so it was like a real life example of, um, the, the gut brain signaling getting dysregulated by stress and anxiety, triggering these extreme symptoms and landing her in the ER. And it's interesting because so many people with these conditions are never told about that being a possible cause of symptoms. Um, again, in very short office visits every three or six months, it's, it's hard for a, a GI doctor right. who only has 15 minutes with somebody to explain this complex interaction of the gut and the brain. Um, and so a big part of our model is you know, we have much longer visits because it takes time. But this education of, yeah, this is what might be going on. Hey, let's connect you to Oshi's GI psychologist or, or social worker to teach you how this works and let, you know, teach you some of these interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, gut-directed hypnotherapy, where you're just calming the signaling between the gut and the brain. Um, and you know, even in just yesterday, one of our patients wrote in about this. We're asking people questions that no one has ever taken the time to ask. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of these light bulb moments of like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. But yeah, that might be part of what's going on here. Um, and then we actually are providing them the expert care, all accessible through telehealth, very convenient. You can do it at home on your own mm-hmm. time. You don't have to go to an office, sit there and wait, you know, the whole experience of getting care in person. And we also had a patient write in yesterday and say, 
I'm, I'm having active GI symptoms. The idea that I would have had to go in person for a doctor visit was, would have been so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and so they really loved that they could do, especially this, when you're having these symptoms like chronic diarrhea, you don't want to be going to a doctor's office, right? Being able to get help from home through telehealth Mm -hmm. is, is powerful. So anyway, yeah, yeah, my mom's journey then comes, you know, back into the, in the way I tell this story and sort of point out to health plans too, like that whole episode I just described of her being in the ER, right? nowhere is it getting coded back, oh, this was driven by her irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> it just gets coded as abdominal pain and constipation and lumped into this big bucket of sort of unknown abdominal pain. Well, guess what? A lot of that is actually GI. And so as we've started cutting the cost different ways, it's been very eye-opening mm-hmm. to the health plans and the employers to see where people with GI conditions are hitting their costs. And you mentioned, so you your visit is longer. And so if you go to doctors in your uh, in-person, when you go to the medical center, they only have 15 minutes. And how do you manage to um, have, because they could do it, but they can because they don't have the, uh, the I mean, they, they're, they're short on labor, but also keep keep up the, the costs. Yeah. And how do you do that? How how can OSHI do it? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things is that we're not being paid in a traditional fee-for-service way. So we're negotiating what we call bundled case rates. You get unlimited access to our care team for a fixed fee schedule so that our incentive as OSHI is to get you better as quickly as possible and spend as much time as we need to do that as fast as we can. And we've set the pricing in our payer contracts to where we can have longer visits. And our clinicians love that, right? They, they want to be able to spend more time and feel like they're actually unpacking the issue. And then they're reinfor- it's reinforced when they start to see their, their member getting better. Um, and we're giving someone access to our multidisciplinary care team. So in a traditional GI office, you're just getting a GI physician and nurse practitioner. But if you need a dietary or behavioral intervention, they don't usually know anybody in their area that does that, especially a GI specialized provider. And we're building that workforce. And telehealth, again, is great at building a specialized workforce and then connecting it to people all over the country, right? There's this supply demand matching that we can do through telehealth to take a a GI specialized dietitian who might be in one state, our GI specialized psychologist might live in a different part of the country, and our member might be in California. And as long as the clinicians are licensed in California, they can treat that person in California. Um, And so it's really powerful. But the model is really just to deliver unlimited access to this team of providers, usually meeting every two to three weeks to iterate through treatment until we figure out what works and how to to keep it better. And that's really the magic of our model. And again, we had to fix the payment mechanism so that we could invest, like your question started, more time to actually focus on getting the outcome that matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you mentioned earlier, which is which is great, that you're scaling. You're in yep. 20 state, 25 state, and you know, I'm hoping that soon more and more. And how do you scale that? And how do you also build the team to support that scaling to be successful? Yeah, it's the exciting part of where we are right now. We you know, have been building slowly, sort of building demand up slowly. Um, There's some things we're going to 
be turning on very shortly. They're going to flip the problem. Now the problem is going to be how fast can we build our team of clinicians to serve a much larger pool of demand, a lot of new patients and members around the country that we'll have access to, which is really exciting. And so we've had to invest a lot to build a good recruiting engine of GI specialized nurse practitioners, um, physician associates, dietitians, and behavioral health providers. And there aren't enough out there that already have GI specialization. And so part of what we do, especially dietitians and the behavioral providers, we have a training program. So we can take generalists that want to build a specialization, give them the training and then the quality oversight and reinforcement, and then very focused reps because all they're seeing every day is people with GI conditions. And they're using these interventions and getting better and better and better at them over time. Um, and so we're, we're really building the biggest workforce of these specialized providers. Um, and we have really invested a lot in our quality uh, management. So to make sure that they're getting a lot of feedback, you know, what's working, what's not, um, our utilization management. So, you know, again, we, we do everything that we do through telehealth, but sometimes our members need a colonoscopy, for example. And so we have care coordinators who help our member then go find a local provider who's in network to go get that colonoscopy done. GI clinics are, are, are built to do colonoscopies, imaging, you know, urgent workups, more complex cases. We don't want to compete with them. That's not what we're built to do on those things. We're trying to add in this multidisciplinary part that's missing and have more frequent touch points between their visits with the local GI. Because that's really what is helping unlock the outcomes here and can enable our local GI partners. So the other part, building our workforce, but also starting to build more and more partnerships with local GI groups around the U.S. as we add new states um, so that we can refer our patients in when they need someone in the local market for one of these services. And if they have a patient who needs multidisciplinary care, the dietitian, the, the behavioral health, they can refer to us. Mm -hmm. And so I assume with a lot of the your GI specialist, they are, are they employed by the OSHI? And if they do, then everybody works so virtually. How do you create that environment that they felt they're part of the company? How do you create yeah. that culture and create one of great place to work? Yeah, we, um, so there, there are laws that say that um, physicians need to own medical groups. So OSHI has an, a set of affiliated medical groups that employ and contract our clinicians. So yes, they are working for OSHI's affiliated medical groups. Um, and then OSHI itself is providing all the managed services to those medical groups, the HR, the mm -hmm. you know, sales support, um, you know, legal support, all the support they need technology to enable their uh, care delivery. Um, so that's the structure. Um, and then... Um, the other part of your question was around. How do you create that? Oh, the culture. The culture that everybody's in it together. So your model is similar to Kaiser in a way, right? They have the medical group and then the Kaiser that provide a lot of the other things to help the care deliver being delivered very well. Yeah, that's true. And we've been very intentional about building our culture. So it starts with our core values, um, sort of, you know, how we use those as our language, um, you know, having them really reinforce the way that we want to operate as a company. We have clinical principles that really reinforce the, the key tenets of our clinical approach. Um, and again, used the same way. It's part of the language. They're reviewed pretty often. 
Um, the clinicians love working in this team-based approach. Again, it's it's not something that they're able to do in a lot of other um, brick-and-mortar clinics around the country. Um, and so being able to have a dietitian and behavioral health provider on your own team is great. Um, more and more, we're working on our technology, right? We want our technology to be easy to use for the clinicians. And, you know, we have a lot of work to do to make it better. I think it's good for now. But yeah, and then just, you know, all the things we do to help our clinicians interact with each other to get uh, the member feedback that comes in, gets shared back with them because they love to hear the great comments that, that members are making about our care, about their care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting reports on the on the quality scores on their patients, right? So they're seeing the impact of their work. And I think just so much of what's rewarding is our members actually telling them during a live conversation how much it's changed their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part's good, but we also, um, we have members who like step forward and say, hey, how do I help tell other people about OSHI? People like me who need this. Um, and so we've had some of our members come to our all hands meetings and share their story and talk about how OSHI has helped them. And it's just super powerful. I, I We're usually all teary-eyed after hearing their stories. Um, and it's really rewarding. We just had one of our members come to a conference with us to tell employers and payers about their experience and help sort of advocate, you know, people want more access to this type of care. Yeah, I think that's sometimes the best part about the work that you do. I remember when I was working for a product company, when we bring the patient, then you felt like, wow, that was, you know, you can see the impact right then. That's I think that's why we are in healthcare for that reason. And to segue into different topic a little bit, now that, you know, Koshi is where it is today, I think you guys grew pretty fast the last uh, three years. And and I just want to, like, what are the some of the lessons that you learned in the past that, you implement it at Oshi, and then also what are the new lessons that you learned for the last three years that you felt like, wow, I did not know, and now I know, and that is so important and makes. When I when I was working at the diabetes company prior to Oshi, um, the founder had invested in a business coach, and that business coach really came came in and helped us create our core values. For example, taught us how to use those core values to create a strong culture, um, how to use things like meeting rhythms to be sort of the operating system of the company, um, to drive really good you know, communication and make sure people are aligned, um, how to set goals and you know, uh, OKRs, if you like that methodology, objectives and key results. Uh, and so I was able to bring a lot of those things, having seen it over three and a half years that I was with that company, um, and seeing it support our growth and our scale, I was able to start Oshi with a lot of those principles from the very beginning. And I think that's really helped us in terms of something that I had learned in the past and brought forward here. Um, even those core values, so many of them were shaped by experiences I had at other places in my career. Um, you know, I was part of acquiring companies and going in and figuring out like what is the culture of the company you're acquiring. And sometimes there was more than one culture um, in different parts of, you know, companies and then sort of stepping back and saying, well, wait, what is the culture of our company and how are we going to, you know, mesh these things together? All of these were really great sort of learning points for me um, that now really informed how we build culture intentionally at Oshi mm-hmm. um, and just create a good operating system to run the company. 
But even that, like we're right now at the scaling point where we're having to sort of reflect on our operating system and say, okay, well, it's been good to get us to where we are now, but is it robust enough to get where we're going? And so we're Mm -hmm. actually in the midst of sort of making some updates and improvements and formalizing it and writing it down more. Because when you're smaller, you can communicate more ad hoc, but when you get larger, you have to start, you know, systematizing these things. So um, that's kind of where we are now. You know, things I've learned over the past couple of years, I mean, this is more around, you know, running the clinical trial that we ran coming out of, you know, through the ADAPT program. I mean, you really see the power, right? For for payers and employers who want to have some confidence in, you know, a young company that's brand new doing something different than the way care is, you know, practiced mm-hmm. traditionally, it, it it was really hard to convince them until we had this data from the trial. But it just showed this power that like, yeah, when you have really robust proof of your results, that's what's caused us now to like really take off. And so, you know, looking back, if I if I could do it all again, knowing what I know now, I would probably have tried to keep our uh, our costs down and just, you know, run the clinical trial, kept everything as little, you know, as low scale as we could, um, gotten those results and then started investing more. So, mm-hmm. yeah. If I could do it all over again, that's what I would do. I think the other good news is, you know, when we started building this in 2019, there weren't a lot of great sort of technology stacks to build a virtual care company. Good news is lots of entrepreneurs saw that and said, well, wow, we can build a company that will make these tools for companies like Oshi to grow. Um, And so we're starting now to be able to use a lot of these tools that other entrepreneurs have been out there building for companies like us. and so I think that's an encouraging you know, sign for the future for building other virtual care companies. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time now when I think about there's so many, I mean, I'm not even well-versed in a lot of the technology out there, but I just feel that it moves so fast. It's just like another tool in your building block. It's an exciting time to be in healthcare. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, mixing the culture and what is the culture at Oshi? Because, you know, when you're emerging, I, I used to be an investment. Sometimes, you, you know, as a banker, sometimes you don't really think about it so much, but then you have to justify it. And you know, that's why you think it's like, oh, culture. But I remember when I was an associate at that time, I was like, why is it a big deal? Like, you know, people are people. But it makes, you know, merger fail or success is really based on this, um, the culture. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, you know, I would describe it through the lens of our core values. Like, how do we operate? So the number one core value is do the right thing. And it's a lot about sort of putting our members first, doing whatever we need to do to get our member the help and support they need, whether that's with OSHI or it's our work sort of coordinating other aspects of their care. Um, Sometimes it's even things beyond, you know, their care um, that might be getting in the way. So, you know, that always is our anchoring principle. You know, teamwork is a big part of it. Um, so just making sure, you know, all the different functions across the company are working well together, communicating well, being direct and open with each other is another core value. So two parts to that. So speaking up is a big part of it. Like, you know, if you see something, say something about it, but also say it in a in a kind way. And on the receiving end, be open to feedback. It might hurt to hear at the very beginning, but like you gotta be open to it and and that sort of dovetails into our fourth one, which is learn and improve. So we're always looking to improve ourselves, our performance, um, 
how we do as a company and inform that with data. So that's the, the, the data-driven part of it. So we measure everything we can so that we can continue to sort of show ourselves and, and learn from the data and, and get better over time. Well, that's great. Last question. What's the best advice that you got? It was another entrepreneur that was in my business school class who had is now sold his company. And I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to get into this entrepreneurship world. Like, what should I expect? And he said, well, the best advice I can give you is it's a roller coaster. And I don't mean a roller coaster month to month or week to week or day to day, but like within a day, you're going to have these, you know, extreme highs and lows. Just try to stay neutral through all of it. Like realize everything will work out. Like don't get too worried about the things that don't go well. Don't get too hyped about the things that do go well because they might turn around. Just try to stay level and stay focused. So there you go. And the worst advice. You know that's coming, right? When I ask you the best advice, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I'm too optimistic. Um, I think I, I, I've been pushed at various times to um, hire for pedigree and experience versus the core competencies that we really needed and the and the the mindset that we needed in a particular role. So we try to really focus on on the mindset and like, what is the real profile? What will this person that's going to come in and, and do the job we need amazingly, what will they be like, right? What will we all feel like working with that person and really anchoring around that versus, you know, where someone went to school or, you know, any of those things. Because uh, people grow and change through their careers and get better over time. It doesn't really matter where you started. It matters sort of where are you right now? And does that fit what we need as a company? Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing your advice. And um, it's so great to have you. Yeah, thank you. It's so great to have you in our community. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.